Father, we just praise you and thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. May you lift our hearts to you um, as we worship through the teaching of your word. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a couple of announcements. You can go ahead and have a seat. If you're here for Sunday school, you are dismissed now. You can meet your teacher at the back of the room. And a um, couple reminders. I guess the main thing is tonight at 6.30, we will be having uh, a church prayer meeting. So 6.30 to 7.30, our quarterly church prayer meeting. And quick reminder that every year we have our uh, annual meeting of the corporation. And uh, we always struggle to find a time to fit it in. So today we're just going to do that right after the service. Uh, it should take, you know, five minutes or less. Um, but so if you are a member of Creekside Church, just, just stay in your seats for a couple extra minutes. We promise it'll be, it'll be quick. I don't think we have any, any big announcements or uh, votes to make there. So with that, call Steve up. Good to have you worshiping with us this morning. If you are here and this is your first time at Creekside Church, just want to extend a special welcome to you. And we do have, if you happen to get a bulletin when you came in, hopefully you got one. If you didn't, they're on the uh, welcome table in the entryway there. And uh, there is a f uh, additional flap on the edge of the bulletin, on the end of the bulletin, and that, bu that flap is for anybody. But if you're here and this is your first time, we sure would appreciate if you'd fill it out and then... Uh, uh, discreetly, uh, you know, somehow, I don't know how you do that discreetly, but tear it off and then put it in the offering box, which is on the welcome table as well. Also, for those who are regular uh, attenders here and members, uh, if you have a prayer request or uh, want to know how to get involved or you have questions, that's for you too. I'd like you to uh, bow with me and, and pray as we prepare to worship through the study of His Word, God's Word. Father, as we... Uh, come together on this uh, chilly winter morning, we are uh, encouraged, Father, that you uh, have received our praises and thanksgiving, and I pray that we would continue to rejoice and enjoy the opportunity to lift up uh, the God whom we serve in praise uh, and songs of praise and adoration. And now in prayer, we come to you and ask that you would open your word to us. And help our hearts, Father, we pray that we might receive these things for what they truly are, the Word of God, and not just the words of men. Use them to inform our minds and transform our lives. For your sake and for your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I don't see too many commercials, but uh, I, I do remember this one from Capital One. Capital One has this commercial, and the slogan is, Banking Reimagined. Now, you know, the English language is kind of interesting because we're so easily swayed by these things. But Banking Reimagined, I think, is supposed to incite us to something and excite us about something new, something exciting, something fresh, something different. Well and something better. As we come to the passage that we're in this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at chapter 6 actually, verses 1 through 9, but in, in chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, it, it's Paul's study on relationships reimagined. Uh, relationships that are new, that are better, that are somehow fresh. In a world where Women were treated like slaves, 
And children were seen as servants, and servants were seen as, as cattle. God calls us as believers, called them then and called us now uh, to relate with each other with love and respect and submission and encouragement out of reverence for Christ. And that was radical, <laughs> you know, and it's radical now. I mean, the things we talked about last week and how husbands are supposed to relate with wives, the things we're going to talk about this morning about how it is that children are supposed to relate to their parents and parents with their children and how it is that uh, workers are supposed to relate to those who are over them in supervisory capacities. Wow, uh, this is not the way the world lives, but it's the way God wants us to live as his people. And so this morning, we're going to consider the final two realms of relationships in which God's word reimagines how Christians interact with each other and with others as believers. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Or if you have your phone or a device, or if you don't have one, there should be a Bible underneath the seat in front of you somewhere or in close proximity. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and insincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that what good, whatever good thing one, each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slaves or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. The first set of relationships, the first realm of relationships has to do with those in the family. And there are two parties that are addressed and their responsibilities are laid out. First of all, we deal with the children and there are three considerations. And so now all of you parents, I'll try to remind you what I reminded everybody of last week. We don't need elbows and knees and, and pointing of fingers. I'll just trust that the children, and uh, yes, I, I, it means anybody who's a child in some regards, these things do matter for all of us who are children regardless of our age, at least in some regard. Okay, first of all, he says, children, obey your parents. Now, the primary focus is for those children who are still living at home. Okay. Obey your parents. Obey is literally to hear under. To hear under. Okay. So it means you're listening with equal attentiveness to either parent, both parents, father and mother, and then respond appropriately. So that's what it means to obey. You listen and you do, regardless of whether it's dad or mom. Now the condition of obedience is, is in the Lord, which I understand to be as if you are obeying the Lord. 
So it's as if God is speaking to you. This is how you are to obey. And in uh, Colossians, if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone, you can probably get there quicker than I can. But Ephesians or Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. In all things. Really? Yeah, except if it's contrary to God's word. Okay? If it's against his will that's expressed to us in his word, then no. So if your parents say, well, you need to go steal this or you need to go cheat or whatever. No, that's not what he's calling us to as children. But in all things, accept what is contrary to God's will as revealed in his word. I remember our, our children, when they were growing up, uh, they, with great pain, uh, they were restricted in what they could watch. And so they'd go to a friend's house, or they'd go to school, and there would be some video clip or movie or whatever, and they weren't allowed to watch it. And with great pain, I think for the most part, they were compliant. They didn't do that. And so that's the idea. As you live at home, you're obedient to your parents. Okay, and what they call, and then he says, the, the, the cause here is for, for the obedience, is for this is right. The reason for the obedience is this is right. This is the correct way. It's God's plan. God didn't place school teachers or doctors or even you, young people, in charge of you. He placed God. And then God placed your parents. So your parents are representing God in, in your lives. And we're, we're, we're required. We're required to honor them. Okay, so this is the, the, the reason. The additional submission means this is not just something that's an idea that's a command. But we're required to do. We're required to honor them. Okay. We're not just required to obey them. We're required to honor them. Look at verse 2. He says, honor your father and your mother. Okay. In verse 1, it's obey. Obey has to do with actions. Honoring has to do with attitude. So we obey, but we honor them. And it's an attitude of continually holding our parents up with respect and value. Oftentimes it leads to obedience. But honoring is not equal to obedience. Okay, Oftentimes it results, but it's not the same exactly as obedience. And we, how do we honor our parents? We honor our parents by speaking kindly to them and respectfully and kindly about them. We honor our parents by spending time with our parents. I know that's a pain for the young people sometimes. Like it's like, and as we get older, sometimes it's a little bit of a pain, right? You see, the honoring part, we always, we always, when we're at home, we always obey and honor our parents. The older we get, after we move out of the home, we're still to honor them. I don't do everything my dad and mom say that I should do, but I still am called by God to honor them and to speak respectfully to them, to make time for them, to provide for them, to care for them. 
And the rightness of honoring our parents is rooted in God's moral law. Notice it te- the text, it says, and it quotes Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. He says, honor your father and mother, that's what it is, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you on the earth. Your mother and father, honor your, your father and your mother. Both of them. And interestingly enough, how is it that the children learn to obey and honor their parents? Their parents teach them. We teach them how to obey and honor us as their parents. You look at Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verses 8, and, uh, and then if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse, verses 1 and 4, uh, all of these have to do, it says, fathers and then mothers, fathers and mothers, fathers and mothers. So both of them have a responsibility for doing this. Okay? And the motivation for honoring is provided for by the promise that the fifth commandment has. Interestingly enough, in verse 1, it says that you, uh, children, or in verse 2, it says, children, obey your, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So if you go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, you see, you read down through them, all of them have some, or most of them have some sort of added addition or some explanation. This is the only one that has a promise, which is a motivation for children to obey their parents and honor their parents, because if you do so, then God's going to do something. He's promised that he will do something. We're rewarded for honoring them. Okay? We're required to honor them. But then we're rewarded if we do it. That it may be well with you. Well, uh, I think this speaks, and this is not original to me, so it, it speaks to the quality of life. That it will be well with you. And then he says that your days may be long on the earth, which speaks to the quantity of, of life, right? It speaks to the quantity of our life. Now, uh, Paul extended the promised blessing that was given originally to the children of Israel and applied it to believers in, in the modern, in the first century and to believers after them, okay? So, what does that all mean? I think it means all things being equal. I mean, all things being equal, all right? For children who obey and children who honor their parents, a life of relative serenity and longevity will ensue to the degree and to the duration that fulfills all that God has planned for our lives. I don't think it's a name it, claim it promise that I can... Oh, well, I know that I'm going to live to to 90 because I obeyed and honored my parents. No. But to the extent that God, all things being equal, that I'm not totally a knucklehead, I think I can expect that there's going to be a certain amount of harmony in relationships and a certain amount of longevity, a longevity that God alone has determined before the foundation of the world. You can go to Psalm 139. He knows the number of our days when as yet there are none of them. And so that's what I think he's talking about. I remember uh, sitting uh, with my great-grandfather. And he was 97 years old. And I remember sitting there talking to him. And I said, Grandpa Ray, I said, why do you think, why do you think you've lived so long? 
Now, you know, he'd be the guy sitting out under the shade tree when it's 95 degrees out with his long sleeve flannel shirt on. And he thought it was just comfy, you know. He lived the last year of his life on Smokies, uh, those little uh, things, and, he, and his glasses were just splattered with grease, you know. And he said, I said, why do you think you've lived so long, Grandpa? And he said, because your, your grandma and I, we took in our parents, and the good Lord said, if you honor your parents, you'll live long on the earth. And I thought, can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. Here he was, applying the truth of, of God's word to his life. If we live within the boundaries of obeying and honoring our parents, I think we will generally experience a sweet, significant, and sustained life to the degree and duration that God has planned for us. And I think that's the encouragement. That uh, For you young people, hey, listen up. Uh, and for us old people, listen up. If, if we live within those parameters, God has, has promised some degree of, of, of blessing for us. Okay? Now, that's the children. Okay? Now we get to the, the fathers. And I don't just say fathers here. It does say fathers, but I think there's also a, an implication here and an application for the mothers as well. Don't provoke your children, verse 4. And fathers, don't provoke your children. Again, two, two groups of people here. We're going to get to the, uh, or this is the end of this, the fathers. The prohibition. Okay? Fathers, don't provoke them. And I like what it says in Colossians, the parallel passage. Don't exasperate them. Don't exasperate your kids. Uh, it's kind of the, the idea. The text says, fathers, and I think Paul addresses fathers primarily because they're the head of the home. And he's established that in the previous verses we looked at last week, right? But also because fathers, like it or not, tend to be more likely to provoke our children. Um, but not exclusively. And you notice that in verse 2, he says, honor your father and your mother. You also, we can go back to a number of passages in Proverbs where similar admonitions are given, but both the father and the mother are there. So I think the application still extends to both parents, but fathers are addressed primarily, but not exclusively in the application of this verse, okay, in provoking. Now provoking, I think, is likely something that happens over the course of time. So it's not like just immediate, but it extends over the, it's, it's an annoyance that builds to the boiling point. Uh, now, those of us who are a little older, we can think about our own past and some of those annoyances that built until we finally got frustrated and we were provoked to anger at times. Now, um, parents, we're all human. Okay, so this is not a beat up on the parents' time. Uh, fathers, uh, particularly, we fail. Okay, we are all we all live in dysfunctional families. Okay, some are more dysfunctional than others, but because we're not fully sanctified, we are messed up. Okay, so let's just accept that. I don't like it. I look back over the years. Yes, would I do things differently? Yes, everything. No, some yes. So here we are. Don't provoke them to anger. How do we do that? We can take a poll, um, but I'm going to throw out a few suggestions of how we provoke our children to anger. 
And one of the most egregious ones is just by abuse. It can be verbal abuse. It can be emotional abuse. It can be physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse. Um, so when we use inappropriate force, or, you know, when the punishment doesn't fit the crime, some of you have had that happen to you, you know, you grew up and it's like, all I did was, you know, uh, hit my elbow against the wall and knocked a hole in it, and they went ballistic on me, like it was the end of the world. Um, stern and inconsiderate tone of voice, um, perpetually belittling, demeaning or putting people down. That's one, abuse. Second one, uh, rules without reasons. Because I said so. Anybody heard that one before? Anyone used that one before? Because I said so. Now, when they're little, 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 little kids, I mean, that works, right? But the older they get, they, they can actually understand reasons. And so if you don't give them a reason for doing it, then we demean them as human beings. We disrespect them as human beings. I mean, they're thinking, why should I not do? Why, why should I not, you know, jump off the roof? I mean, it's there. Rules without reasons. Personal favoritism. Think Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. Remember the coat of many colors that Joseph had? And all of his brothers were like, well, dude, who made him king? And, and, then, and then, you know, he didn't help matters. But then his, they resented his father as well because he had shown favoritism towards them. Now, I will say this. Uh, we all are slanted and we're all perverted in our sense of our, our, our minds are stained by sin. So we can often imagine that other children in the home are favored when in fact they really aren't. Some of you, you can say, oh yeah, my sister, she was a spoiled brat. She got everything. She was the favorite kid. And as children, you know, they'll go up and say, oh yeah, dad or mom, they favored so-and-so. And you're going like, What? So we have this, there's that going on. But favoritism, when it's obvious, is, is unhealthy. Unrealistic expectations, where the parent is never satisfied with the accomplishment or the achievement of the child, but always retorts with criticism instead of compliments. You know, sometimes, parents, we just beat our kids down. We beat them down and we beat them. It's not good enough. Oh, you got, a, you got an A minus? What's wrong? You didn't, why, why couldn't you get an A? What? You're only second chair. We need to practice more. You didn't make the first team? Well, get out there and practice. You know, we, we, we beat our kids down, and that's not helpful. Helicopter parents. Hoovering over the, over the, the kids and not give, you know, making every decision for them and trying to decide everything and trying to control everything and micromanage everything so that they never make a mistake or they never have a problem or they never get hurt. Oh, we can't have that. We can't have that. Here, here's your antiseptic ointment. Here, you take this out and, and don't hurt yourself. And here, here's some Band-Aids in case you get hurt. And don't talk to strangers. And, you know, I'm not saying all that's bad, but it's like, Ugh. it's just like, Ugh. get away from me. You know, now as, as kids get older, they need to have appropriate, age appropriate freedom and decision making responsibility and authority. Young people, I know what you're thinking. 
Yeah, they don't give me any responsibility or authority. Well, you know what? If you do the first commandment here, if you obey your parents in the Lord, they're a lot more likely to give you a longer leash as you get older. Okay? So don't go, yeah, yeah, pastor said you need to give me a responsibility and authority and decision making. And he said, and you go, yeah, he did. But you need to earn trust. It doesn't come just because you got older. Hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> no, do as I do, not just what I say. So, you know, parents... Uh, Kids are super smart. They can see through our hypocrisy. I asked my kid to do something that I would never do. They're not going for that. Permissiveness. You know, one of the things in a kid's heart, in a fallen child's heart, is I'm going to get my own way. And we've become masters at this, okay? I'm going to get my own way. Children demand to get their own way, but you know what? Internally, all of us long for boundaries. We want some boundaries. Some guidelines that, that will protect us and keep us safe. And if you don't give your kids boundaries, if we don't give them boundaries, they will not feel like they are loved. Young people without boundaries are not loved people. And they're, they're, the children are going to go, no, be quiet. Um, but they want the boundaries. So, use the Find My Phone app on your phone, you know. Put in the internet filters. Uh, limit their screen time. And they're going to scream and holler and whine and moan and just do it. Because they need it. Even though they don't want it. Even though they don't want it. And they will thank you for it. Maybe. Maybe not. But it's still your responsibility. But if you don't, they won't know they're loved. You know, when our kids were really, really little, we tried our best to go around the house and just eliminate as many things that they would be tempted by that we would have to say no to. You know, stuff that's going to break, stuff that's going to be destroyed. If they, they, they're, they're kids, you know, so we expect them to be kids. Uh, you know, plug the light so or the electric sockets with something that they can't plug, you know, things into and all that kind of stuff. So that when they went around the house, if, they, if we had to say no... They knew we meant no. But we weren't saying no every, every time they turn around. No, 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 no. Then become, no becomes nothing. But when we said no, we meant no. I'm not a big fan of counting to three because kids that can count to three can count to one. You know? If we say it, we mean it. If you don't do it, then there's a consequence. We're going to remove some privilege or we're going to add some responsibility or if we need to we'll take things a little step further detachment can totally discourage tell your kids you love them and show them you love them with appropriate affection as often as you can i used to hug my kids and love on my kids as much as i could as long as i could as long as they'd let me <laughs> you know I, 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 would, I, would, I would do it. And then, you know, age appropriate. Uh, demonstrations of and telling them you love them and affect them. And when we don't do that, then they are frustrated. So the, that's the, that's the pro, pro, prohibition. But what's the prescription? He says, but 
And four, verse 4, the end of verse 4, but bring them up, that's the, that's the antithesis to it, bring them up, which means to provide for them, provide what they need for their growth in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Discipline, discipline is systematic training that includes correction. Okay, Discipline, systematic training that includes correction. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm not going to go into it, uh, I think we, we might have it on the screen, but I'm not going to delve into it but this is the Lord disciplines whom he loves that's what I'm saying permissiveness no complete permissiveness no he disciplines whom he loves and so then the instruction is literally the the Greek is put in the mind (laughs) so we instruct them we put it in the mind It doesn't just mean information, it means attitude as well. So we put in the mind of our children the the right attitude and the right amount of instruction. Okay. Proper discipline and instruction by the parents with the emphasis on the fathers because I believe that the fathers are the head of the homes and just take the lead in this. And I will tell you young men, I will tell you old guys that that is the most difficult challenge that the enemy will thwart, try to thwart our attempts to be the spiritual leaders in our home. Every excuse in the book will come into your mind. Every reason, rationale and, and, and thing will try to thwart that effort. And I, it has been a battle my entire life as a parent. And so just pray and get other brothers around you to encourage you and support you in doing that because you will need it. And it's of the Lord. It's according to God's word with reliance upon his spirit and for his glory. According to his word, reliance upon his spirit and for his glory. And these words which I am commanding you this day shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you'll talk of them when you sit in the house. And when you walk along the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up. And again, if you want some other passages to look at, you can look at Psalm 78. Uh, the challenge for the, the fathers to teach the young people. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, that's 2 Timothy 2 too. But he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, that what, what, you've, what you've heard from a child, Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, you've been taught the scriptures that are able to make you wise into salvation. And who did he hear it from? His mother and his grandmother. Second set of relationships that we need to concern ourselves with has to do with submission. I don't know how to say it. In the economy, the first one is the family, the economy, uh, in relationships between, in the workplace, however you want to put it, okay? Slaves and masters, verses 5 through 9. Mutual submission for both slaves and masters in this context, I think, is applied, and we're going to apply it to an analogous set of relationships, though the analogy is not perfect, okay? And the, the, the transformation or the transition is not perfect. So what Paul talked to them about with regard to slaves and masters, I think we can apply to those who are the employees and those who are the supervisors, those are the business owners, those who are the employers, okay? 
So the workers and those who are over the workers. I think we're going to make that application. So slaves, he says, obey your masters, verse 5. And here's the considerations we need to look at. First of all, the admonition to obey. Slaves in the culture were treated like cattle. Okay? 1 Timothy 6.1 says you're under the yoke. They put oxen under yokes. So slaves are under yokes. They're tasked with menial and oftentimes demeaning and physically demanding work. Outside or inside. Okay? And... The big thing is, slaves were expendable in their culture. Didn't like the way the slave was performing, didn't like the way the slave, if they got sick, don't feed it, don't pay it, just let them die, because we'll just replace them. Paul's goal here, and you say, okay, slavery, well, let's get on to that topic. Here's why, here's what I'm going to say about slavery. One sentence. Paul's goal was not reformation of a human institution but to facilitate heart transformation that would impact relationships for Christ. He wasn't addressing the social issues of his day. He was dealing with the heart relationships and wanted them to be transformed. Obey your masters. Obedience to the authority that's over us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Even the bad ones. Submission to those who are in authority over us, even the bad guys and the bad gals, is not optional, but it's obligatory. Ongoing compliance. Ooh. I have to do it. Ongoing. Now, here's the difference. If you're a slave, you don't have a choice. If you're an employee, you do. <laughs> you know, this is as long as you work for the people you're working for. All right. If you're not working for them anymore, then it's another person you're working for, if you're working for somebody. Okay. And we obey them in all things except, no shock here, what's unbiblical. If it's not according to God's word, I'm not doing it. Okay? If you're going to ask me to do something contrary to God's word, then that's where you push back. Believers should be, I think, the most reliable, the most respectful, the most productive, and the most trustworthy employees of all. And yet I have talked at least to at least two employers in the, in the course of, of my life that I knew personally who would not hire. They came to a point in their life that said, I will not hire somebody if they profess on their resume that they're a Christian or they tell me that they're a Christian. Because of their past bad examples. Their experience with people who profess to be Christians was so terrible that they weren't going to hire anybody else who came to them and said, I'm a Christian, even though they were Christian employers. That's sad and should not be. And then he says, according to the flesh, which, I mean, masters according to the flesh, he's just talking about people who are human. Uh, the parallel passage in Colossians 3.22 says, on earth. But it emphasizes to the employee, look, listen, it's only for this life, okay? They're on earth, and it's also only in matters of work, not in spiritual matters. Because this is a person according to the flesh. They're not a spiritual guide, all right? And in verses 5 through 8, Paul highlights the attitude. The admonition is to obey, but what, in what attitude? The attitude of a spirit-filled worker is this. He says, with fear and trembling, not terror in my heart, but reverence and respect, as if to the Lord. And that's what he says, as to the Lord, as to Christ. 
That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, and then in sincerity of your heart, I'm not pretending. And I'm going to do my job completely, thoroughly, with sincerity of my heart. As to Christ, I'm serving Christ. Here's the deal. If you're a believer and you're an employee, you're serving Christ. We're to be showing love to Christ. And we're to be showcasing Christ in the workplace. That's our calling, all right? That's our calling. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And we're seeking His glory. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the, that's the calling that we're supposed to do. All to the glory of God. And then he says, um, verse 6, Not by way of eye service as men pleasers. We don't do our boldest and best work only when the boss is watching. I was uh, working on a roof, on a a house, doing some construction work uh, when I was in college. And uh, the big boss came out, the owner of the construction company came out with the the guy who was building the house, paying to have the house built. And oh boy, uh, the guy that was paying to have the house built was really upset because nothing was getting done, according to him. We had nothing to show. What's going on here? What, why are we wasting my money? Blah, 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 blah. So the big boss, uh, when that guy left, the big boss says, okay, get the roof on. Well, we had the, you know, we had the rafters, uh, the joists up, the rafters all up and everything. So uh, that was the task for the day. Get the sheeting up there, get that stuff nailed down, get the roof on it. And we're rolling out the tar paper and putting the roof down. And the guy who was my foreman, he was an old uh, Norwegian, and he goes, Shh, it's a show, it's a show, it's a big show. Because anybody in the construction business knows you can put a, a roof on a, a, a very uh, simple roof real quickly and make it look like you're getting a lot done in a hurry. And Paul says, look, don't be living your life to please men. Not with eye service, not just to get the big job done quickly in front of the boss, but do it when Nobody's looking. The God-honoring employee is not maneuvering for a promotion or to make an impression, but he serves as a slave of Christ. Notice what it says in verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. Because he wants to. Verse 7 basically basically repeats verse 6, adding this, with goodwill. Meaning, it's self-initiated. And... I'm doing it voluntarily, okay? I do it voluntarily. And then, this is Colossians 3.23, uh, if, if you, the parallel passage is in Colossians, so Colossians 3.23, he says this, if I can get to it. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. So, young people, old people, and I know some of you are like, well, I'm retired, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't apply to me. Well, you've got young people that you know, and maybe you should encourage them, okay? You can help them along the way. And it doesn't matter. Even if you're retired, if you're still doing anything, it's to the Lord because we live for His glory. And so that's the calling that we have in our, in our hearts, that we're supposed to do it for the Lord. And the attraction for obedience is in verse 8. And I like verse 8. Uh, I like Daryl Bach's commentary. Here's what he says about verse 8, summary. The Lord is watching what we do and rewards those who do it well. The Lord is watching what we do and he rewards those who do it well. Authentic, obedient workers, whether they're slave or free, 
We may receive a blessing now, but we will certainly receive a blessing in eternity. That, that's the, my translation of whatever good thing he does, that he will receive back from the Lord, right? Now, he's talked to the slaves, now he talks to the masters in verse 9. One verse for the masters, and here it is, those and masters translate this into uh, supervisors, uh, employers, bosses, uh, if you have people that are serving under you. Uh, here's the requirement. Verse 9, he says, and masters do the same thing. Well, but you're not a slave. You're not a servant. What do you mean? Do the same thing. Well, masters or employers are to focus on reverence for and obedience to Christ as they serve in their capacity. Seeking to honor Him and to do His will from their heart. Yes, it's a different role, but it's the same attitude and the same mentality as, as you relate with those in authority. And give up threatening. You know, you've all had bosses like, get that done or you're going to get fired. Get that done or I'm going to dock your pay. Get that done. It's a harsh and, and, um, and insensitive and abusive treatment has no place for a spirit-filled believer who is supervising people. That's not the way to motivate them. That's not it. And you can check Leviticus 25, uh, verse 43 out. Now, why, why would we do that? If we're an employer or, or we're a supervisor, the text says both their master and yours is in heaven because you know that God is watching. And he's judging all of us equally. He says, without partiality. Oh, you mean because I'm the boss, I don't get an extra you know, benefit of the doubt from God that if I mistreat my employees that somehow he's going to give me a pass? Uh, no, because God is watching the employees to see if they serve you out of reverence and obedience for Christ. And he's watching you to see if you serve your employees out of reverence and obedience for Christ. Oh, it works both ways. That's what he's saying. It works both ways. So if, you're, if you find, if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't really know about all this Jesus stuff because he's writing to Jesus followers, to God followers, I would just challenge you to consider following God's way in the submission in the family, submission of children and parents, and the submission that takes place in the workplace, as opposed to what we see in the world today. Which works better? The consequences, I think, of doing it God's way are much richer and much more beneficial than doing it the world's way. But the only way we can do it God's way is if we're surrendered to Jesus. And so that would be my challenge to you, is that you would see that He's Master and Lord, and that you would understand that our sins separate us from Him, and that He died on the cross as the payment for our sins, so that when we put our faith or our trust in Him, we become His child, and then that's the motivation. I don't serve as unto the Lord unless I am the Lord's. And He is my Master if I've surrendered my will and my way and my work to Him by faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, trust Him. And then, follow him and those who are believers here's the deal mutual submission in marriage and family and the economy out of reverence and obedience to Christ is because he's the one who makes us all equal before the Lord 
I'm no better, no different than anybody else. I'm just one of God's children, and so I just follow God. And when we take uh, bread and we take the juice, all we're doing is we're remembering how it is that we came to be equal before God. It's through his blood shed on the cross and his body broken so that if we would put our trust or our faith in Christ, that we become his children and we don't deserve it. And so we come to the foot of the cross, all of us, whether we're an employee, whether we're a child, whether we're a parent, whether we're a husband, whether we're a wife, whether we're a boss, and we say, let me follow Jesus because he died for me. And so as we take these elements, as you spend a few moments um, searching your heart and uh, confessing any known sin before you come and, and, and up here or in the back, uh, which is our practice that you would feel moved by the Spirit of God to come. Take some time. Evaluate your heart. Confess your sin and let, uh, let God uh, deal with your, your heart. And then when you feel led, come. If you're a believer, come and take the bread and the cup as a celebration of what God has done for you and in a, an acknowledgement and a reiteration of your submission to Him in every relationship. Let's pray. Father, Wow, Paul has some heavy things to say, but we know that only in Christ are we able to accomplish that. And we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, and I pray now, Lord Jesus, that every child of God, every one of us, would learn what it is to surrender as to the Lord. You are our Lord and our Master, and we've yielded to you, and now help us to live our lives in light of it. And everyone who doesn't know you, I pray that they would learn the freedom of moving from slavery to sin, to slavery, to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. See you.